Good morning, Chapel Point. Great to be with you. It really is. And I tell you, uh, last week I was unable to be here. I was up at Lake Ann preaching, and then a couple weeks before that I wasn't here. And it is such a blessing to be able to leave a place and know that people like Jim Jeffries are going to be here to preach. And uh, I tell you, we, I am blessed to work with that type of person and all the staff here. And I just want to thank them for that because it gives me so much freedom to be able to minister and to do other things. Um, I want to personally invite you guys to come on March 17th and 18th. March 17th and 18th is an amazing day. Uh, March 17th is an amazing day for me personally because we're all going to come hang out because it's my wedding anniversary. That'd be weird, right? Uh, March 17th and 18th, very, very important. Put it down on your calendar. Uh, we have a couple coming in from uh, Brentwood, Tennessee. They, they are one of the pastors there at a church of about 4,000, and they travel the country, and they do uh, the marriage retreats and just some amazing things that they come and do. And they typically don't go to a church setting, but they're going to come here March 17th and 18th on that Friday evening from about 6 to 9, and then also on Saturday morning from roughly 8, 8.30 to noon. Uh, they're going to be here. Please, please, please sign up. It's only $25. Normally, you're going to spend $150 on something like this, and it's going to be right here. It can't be any easier more or any more affordable. So March 17th and 18th, and I'm pushing it because I know I'm going to come for it. That's going to be my, that's my wedding anniversary to my wife, right? Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? So I'm going to be doing that for her, and we're going to come because we know that our marriage can always get stronger. It can always allow God to control more of it and to really direct and to guide us in our marriage as we parent, but also as we care for one another. Some of you are going, hey, I'm not married yet. It's okay. I would tell you to come. Uh, two different uh, couples that I'm counseling right now, I told them, you need to come to this. So March 17th, 18th, uh, make sure that you come. I wanted to make sure you're aware of that. A few weeks ago, I was with the elders at Tullymore, and we were just spending a, a day together and talking about what God is wanting us to do moving into the future. One of the key words that we came up with uh, in terms of the next couple of years here at Chapel Point is community. In terms of getting into the community in a more radical way than probably ever before. Getting our hands dirtier than ever before. And that's going to be really important. We're already doing a lot with Alpha and Love, Inc. And we're helping families right now, guys. That they have no affiliation with this church whatsoever. And we don't care. Um, and we just want to love them, and we're doing some pretty cool things for them and trying to show them the love of Jesus Christ. We're trying to get into the schools. We're trying to do everything we can just to, to care for people. And I'm telling you about this because we're wanting your prayer support. We need your prayers as we make some pretty big decisions on how Chapel Point is to get in this community. Just draw a 15-mile radius and just go, how do we do that in a greater way to impact people to know more about God? Uh, so please be praying about it. Uh, know that that's what you're, sometimes you hear the first Sunday of each month, which today is, you hear about our benevolent offering. And a lot of times we use some of those funds to help families in this church, but also in the community and to care for them. And there's actually benevolent boxes now on the wall back there. So you don't have to just give on the first Sunday of the month. You can do it any time. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to give back. And I wanted you to be aware of it. Today, I tell you, the world has tremendous influence over the church. The world has tremendous influence over the church. And we know that it technically should be the other way around. It should be the church having tremendous influence over the world, but we're aware that that's not how it is. 
And we live, we live in a day where I, a lot of times I don't see the difference between where the world is ending and the church is beginning or where the, the church is ending and the world's beginning, whatever it might be, however you want to phrase that. I don't see, I don't see any distinction. And yet when I read the word of God, one of the things that I've learned is that the people of God are supposed to look radically different than the world looks. We're supposed to look different. And I think one of the things, this is a very convicting message, uh, I think for me personally, I think it, it is for anybody who claims to be a disciple in Jesus Christ, is incredibly convicting because we're supposed to look different. And when we're really getting down to it, we don't really look different. I mean, we... we we live in the same houses that non-believers live in, which is fine. I, that's me as well, right? We drive the same types of cars. That, is that supposed to look any different? I don't think so. I mean, what are you going to go? We only drive blue cars. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But everything looks the same. Like our extracurricular activities look the same. Like we're, we're just as frantic running around, making sure that our kids get to everything, hopefully giving a few minutes in prayer in the evening with the family, right? As a non-believer is. Our world, our families, our lives don't look any different. I'll give you another illustration. Our spending is not really any different. Only 6% of Bible-believing Christians actually tithe. That's right after 5, right before 7 right? Six. Our spending habits aren't really any different. Not only that, but our, our marriages, are they really that different? The divorce rate is pretty much the same for a believing couple and one who says that they're not a believing couple. Sexual immorality. The numbers for men and women who are looking and lusting and looking at porn and everything else, identical numbers to those who are not believers. In the last two weeks, roughly 80% of you have looked at porn. Those are the numbers. Our lives don't look any different. And I'm going, what is it? What's it going to take for our lives to look different? When will we encounter God in such a radical way that things really do look different? But it goes even further than that because, because our lives really don't look different because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Seven, you can look at our kids. When they turn 18, you've all heard this before, some of the numbers say 60% of them will not have anything to do with the church when they turn 18. Some say as high as 90% of those individuals when they turn 18. Kids who grow up in the church won't have anything to do with the church when they turn 18 years old. I'll take the middle, 75%. I have four kids. That means three of my four kids will have nothing to do with church if I go by percentages when they turn 18. That's not okay with me. That's not a, we, Why don't we look more different? In fact, how is it that we stand apart from the world? What does it look like? How is it that we are supposed to stand apart from the world? We're doing this series right now for the next month. It's called Speak Your Heart. And it is primarily going to be about the way we speak, what comes out of our mouth, what we don't say, but also what we do say. Because we know that what you say is a direct reflection of your heart. We understand this from Scripture. And that's why I say there's a big mirror and I look at that and I go, man, I've got I've to work on some of these things. But we know that what we speak is a direct reflection of our heart. And our heart, 
is revealed in the words that we speak, but we also need to understand that the words that we speak, they shape our heart. I I remind this to people, listen, if you need, if you speak words of encouragement and words of gratitude, even when you don't feel it, in time, it changes the way your heart feels. Do you know, I mean, that's proven scientifically. Like, that's what happens. So if if you're a guy or a girl who's always going and you're going, hey, look at how God's blessed me, look at what God's doing, and you're always trying to recognize that, even if you really don't see the blessings, then do you know that you start seeing more blessings? If you're someone who says, God owes me more, I can't believe this is happening, I can't believe this is happening, and you're always grumbling and complaining, did you know you're fostering a spirit, a heart of grumbling and complaining? And so our, our, our words matter. What we don't say, but also what we do say. Now you understand this about me already, but I, I need to say this. One, this is a saying, a popular saying, um, that everybody knows, if you would fill in the very last word. Actions speak louder than... I cannot stand that, all right? I've told you this before, I cannot stand that saying because for believers today, what we have done is we use that to justify us going, well, I'm trying to show the love of Christ and we use it to justify why we don't speak the love of Christ because we don't wanna have the courage to stand up and say, hold up. But yet we know that silence is concurring with You've got to process this. I say it a lot. I know, but it's because it's so important. Often today, what happens is people are speaking against God. They're speaking against Christ. They're speaking against church. Maybe they're speaking against others. And because we don't want confrontation of any kind, we just stay silent. I promise you, those people are walking away if you remain silent, and they are assuming that you agree with them. Silence is concurring with. And so our, our heart and the way that we speak it's a matter of what we're not willing to say, right? We always think about cuss words. Well, I don't say these, these certain words in my life. And we think we're good because of that. But it's also a matter of what we do speak according to Scripture. It's also a matter of what we do speak according to Scripture. Um, this last Wednesday night, I was teaching a Bible study and as I was speaking with them, something hit me, and, and I shared it with them, and I, I want to share it with you as well because I think it's so true. We think about all the dangers of the world. And I, I need to tell you, the greatest danger that we have from the world is not persecution. The greatest danger we have from the world is not persecution. It's seduction. The greatest danger that we have in this world is not persecution, it's seduction. We've been seduced into thinking that the temporary things are greater than the eternal things. Because we ask ourselves, do our lives look any different? And when you study church history, as I love to do, and as you study the movements of God throughout the history of the world and all the things that have happened, the greatest movements are when a group of people who love the Lord, who understand what God has done for them, has said, you know what, our lives starting right now are going to look radically different. And they start to look radically different. And as a result of that, the church begins to grow in enormous rates, and there's a fire that starts to happen. That was the book of Acts very first day here comes 3,000 people 
And it just kept going and kept going even in the midst of persecution. Our lives are supposed to look different. They're also to sound different. Do our lives sound different? And so we explore this. And I've got just a few, I've got a few questions that are going to help us this week to really prepare for the weeks that are to come. And the very first question is this. What does my speech reveal about my heart? What does my speech reveal about my heart? And I want to share for you, it's the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And this is what it says. I'm just giving you time to find it. There you go. Matthew 12. And it tells us in this amazing part of Scripture, 35 and following. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now verse 37 is a, a verse that gets overlooked so often on this because um, maybe we don't understand it completely entirely. But one of, what, what it's saying is, listen, you're going to be judged righteous or not um, by what you don't say, but also by what you do say. It's both directions here. Now, one of the most popular uh, verses, and I'm going to come back to this later on, but the verse right in front of this, verse 34, says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What your words say and don't say matter. And if your heart has been given to Jesus your words will point others to Jesus. If your heart has been given to Jesus, your words will point others to Jesus. A couple other passages that line up with this. Psalm 19.14 says, Psalm 19.14, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. He's saying, listen, your words and your heart, they line up together. They impact one another. One is reflecting the other and influencing it as well. Job 33.3 says, my words declare the uprightness of my heart and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. Your words and your heart line up together. Now, I understand that sometimes speaking to people about God, speaking to Jesus, uh, to people about Jesus is a hard thing. And sometimes we kind of need to start in the shallow and in the pool. I say this because 97% of believers will never share their faith with anybody else. They may invite someone to church, but 97% of believers will never actually share their faith. That's a, that's a large number, right? Um, think, that, think about that. Only 6% actually tithe, and 97% will never share their faith. Think about those numbers. Why don't our lives look any different? And so I look at it and I go, I know that we need to sometimes warm up to this. So I want to encourage you and I also want to give you some how-to here. I want to give you a how to 
gradually start incorporating Christ into the words that you use on a daily basis. And you can do so by this. I, I mentioned this to some of the high schoolers last week, but I want, you to, I want to challenge you to start asking spiritual questions in your conversations. Ask this, please, I'm going to give you two examples of spiritual questions that you can ask that anybody can do. All right, it's going to take the pressure off of you learning how to speak about Jesus. I want you to ask spiritual questions. One of the questions that you can ask other people is, how can I pray for you? Hey, how can I pray for you right now? Uh, it's a great story. When I lived in the Northeast, there was a guy, and, and some of you already know this, but I went to a certain place every day, and people would come and say, hey, you're the Christian pastor guy, right? And I'm like, yeah, and they would just land blast me with all kinds of questions. And there was this one guy, uh, we started out pretty rough, let's just say that. He made it very, very clear he was an atheist. And after several weeks of just kind of saying hey to each other and talking here and there, um, I asked him, I said, hey, well, by the, real quick before you leave, how can I pray for you? And he just gave me that look like, really? And he just walked away. But I kept saying hey to him and everything else. A few weeks passed after we had some conversation. And I said, well, I, real quick, I just got to ask again, how can I pray for you? And he goes, you can pray for my wife. She's really sick. All right. So a few weeks go by, and I'm thinking, like, to me, that was success right there. And then a few weeks later, um, after we were, you know, every day almost, we're just saying hey to each other. And sometimes it's a spiritual conversation, sometimes not. Sometimes he has questions about the existence of God, sometimes he doesn't. And we would go through this whole thing. And after a few more weeks passes by, he goes, oh, by the way, you could really, you could pray for my marriage. It's really hurting right now. And I go, yes! Like, not right then in public, but like inside. That was like victory to me. And it took time. And I know some of us are going, man, you don't understand. Because if anybody comes up to me, I don't, I don't have any problem going, Cody, dude, God adores you. He loves you in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants to do amazing, abundantly more stuff within you. And if you ever have questions about it, I want to pray for you. I want to help you out. Like to me, that's just like fun. If you need that like thrown into you, come see me afterwards. Like we can just have a line. I'll just throw it on all of you. Like, I love that. But some of us, it's not as natural, and that's okay. I'm giving you these ideas. Ask spiritual questions so that that can become a part of your life. Ask spiritual questions. So one is, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And then as you look at this, the other is, hey, can I, can I ask, what's God doing in your life right now? And a great way to even talk about that is to let other people know, hey, can I tell you what God's doing right now? It's crazy stuff, and I don't know what to make out with all of it, but he's doing this with my wife, and he's doing this with me and in our marriage, and with job and career, and it's just some crazy things. And um, I can tell God's moving, even I don't know quite where it is. What, what's God doing in your life? And you just ask a spiritual question. And it starts to allow you to build in that into your conversation and making Jesus natural to talk about. I'm, I've recognized all the time, I used to tell people, just go talk about Jesus. And I recognize to tell anybody, to look at anybody in the eyes and say, God loves you, would scare them to death. And so start with spiritual questions. Why? Because you know that your speech reveals your heart. Let's reveal Jesus to them. It's why we don't look any different from the world. Another question that you can ask yourself, though, is how does your speech affect others? We need to understand that your speech affects and impacts others. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up 
as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, that it may encourage those who hear, that it would encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Our language reveals our belief and our unbelief in regards to the greatness and the promises of God. Our language reveals our belief and our unbelief in regards to the promises and the greatness of God. And so we need to understand that our words are to encourage others in their faith. Our words are to sharpen their lives in reflecting Jesus. It's what we don't say, but it's also what we do say. And it's not our role to be rigid, doctrinal, biblicist in terms of just saying we're going to be the religious elite. We just don't say the cuss words. That's how most people grow up. As long as you don't say these basic eight words, you're good with your language, right? It's not true. In fact, sometimes that's our idol. I remember when I was growing up as a kid, my father was the pastor of Ozark Baptist Church, Ozark, Alabama, and everybody knew us in that community, Dale County, Alabama. There's only a town of about 20, 25,000, um, yet this was by far the largest church, and he's there, and um, everybody knew who we were. I remember one day I went over, I had a good friend of mine, I went over to play at his house, and for some reason, his mom just really intimidated me, Right? I usually don't really get messed up with that kind of stuff, but it, she just really intimidated. I remember something, I, I, something happened, and I go, I said a word. I'm about to say it. Get ready. I'm just, I'm letting you, I go, shoot, right? Literally, that's the word I said. Shoot. And she goes, oh, no. I go, what? She goes, you just said shoot. That's the same as saying some other words. I need to call your mom. And I was like, oh, but please, okay. So she calls my mom. I find out she calls my mom. She told me she was going to. And I get home, and my mom is standing there already with belt in hand. This is what I learned. She actually didn't tell my mom what I said, just that I said a bad word. I said, no, no, no. Can I tell you what I said? And I told her, I'm not advocating saying the word shoot, if that's bad to you guys, but that's what I said. And all of a sudden, she's communicating with my mother, and my mother's, she's already got the belt out. We lived in that day, for all you young people, that was acceptable back then. And so all of a sudden, she's going to spank me, and I tell her, no, I just said shoot, and I'm sorry, I'll never say it again, which I just lied because I just said it, right? Um, so, but all of a sudden, she put the belt down. I was like, oh, praise God. Um, hallelujah. And she said, hey, we just don't want to say that. Just be careful. And my friend, of course, next week, because this lady, there's something with her. She's, he's like, hey, you want to come over again? <laughs> Is your mom going to be there? Because, <laughs> yeah, I can't say shoot in her house, but you know what? She was just mean. And sometimes we get so caught up with what we don't say. Oh, look at me. I'm going to get on my religious high horse. But we're just jerks sometimes right? And so it's a matter of what we don't say, I get it, but it's also a matter of what we do say and whether or not you're building up people and whether or not you're encouraging in their their spiritual walk with Jesus. If we would be half as concerned with building people up with our words as we are concerned with tearing them down, our world would look different. We would much rather tell people how they're wrong than tell people how they can get it right in the name of Christ. 
Why? Because it's easier for us. Our words matter. Your words impact other people. Last question here is how can your heart, how can your language reflect authentic faith? What's the answer to that? Like it's good when I'm saying I'm giving you some questions, biblical, godly, you know, Christ-centered questions that you can start incorporating uh, into your life and that's going to help you out. But how is it that your heart and your language can reflect authentic faith? James does a wonderful job in just a couple of verses revealing some of this. In James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, I want to run through these just very, very quickly this morning. James chapter 1, 26 through 27. It's an amazing, amazing book. We're going to be, I'll let you know over the next month, we're going to be in the book of James a good bit, but we're also going to be throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has just a wonderful, wonderful suggestions and ideas and instruction and guidance for us when it comes to our language and our words. But in James chapter 1, 26 and 27, he says, guys, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I want to stop right there. If anyone thinks he is religious, if any one of you thinks that you're all that and you're sitting there judging other people because of the words they say or maybe the words they don't say, and yet you're kind of still speaking whatever you want to speak. You're deceiving yourself. Deception and lying is pretty much the same thing. They're sister words. If you think you're all that and yet you're not speaking as I have instructed you to speak, you're lying to yourself about the condition of your heart is what it says. That's the Joel version. It's pretty close. Like That's what it's telling us. If you think you're a, relig a religious elite individual and you're not watching the words that come out of your mouth, you're deceiving yourself. You don't get it. Because Matthew 12, 34, that I mentioned before, I told you I was going to come back to it, it very clearly tells us that what we speak is an overflow, an outpouring of our heart. How have you spoken Jesus in the last 24 hours? Our words, another way to think about your words and your language and why they matter so much, our words paint a picture of our heart. Right? You think about the Valentine's Day heart, and you can do that, and arrow going through it, and all that wonderful. No, your words paint a picture of your heart. Your words paint a picture of your heart and the bitterness you may have or the anger that, may you ha that you may have or the jealousy or the hatred, whatever it may be. And when we speak, we're telling other people the truth about where our heart is. When you speak negatively about your spouse to your friends, you're exposing the realities of your heart. Like, I tell people, you know this, my spiritual giftedness is harassment and just sarcasm. And I've even apologized for you for it because I have to be careful because sometimes I can be giving a friend a hard time and he knows that I'm kidding and he actually feels better about it, but I'll say something and to others, they may see or hear heart that says, hey, what? Like, is that really? So I have to be careful. 
I've learned that a long time ago about my wife. I have to be really cautious about those words that I'm speaking to others about my wife, even though I know I'm kidding and she knows how much I adore her. I tell people all the time, I'm the president of my wife's fan club, right? She's amazing. And I wish she was here today to hear that. And I'm going, okay, wait a second then. I have to be careful because I don't take myself all that serious. I take God really serious, but I still have to be careful even with that because what I've learned, what I've discovered is that for some people, that's exposing part of a heart that they don't know how to process. And it's probably not good. And so I have to have, have the humility to say, you know what? I'm doing this wrong because I know that when I speak, I'm painting a picture of my heart. And let me go ahead and address something right now that I never thought I'd have to address. Let me talk about social media in terms of our words. What you tweet also speaks your heart. First time I ever used that illustration, I said, what you twit, because I didn't know. It tells you something, doesn't it? Simply because you have a fault go through your head does not give you the right to express it to the world if it's not of God. May I please hear a hallelujah? I am so fed up with people who claim to know Jesus hiding behind a computer screen. If you have an issue with someone, Matthew chapter 18, I'm always going to come back to scripture. It's easy that way. My job's easy because God gives me everything. It's right there. He gives it to us. If you have a problem with someone, Matthew chapter 18, you go to that person individually and say, hey, this is something I'm seeing and I'm struggling with this. Can you tell me what's going on? Because it may be innocent and I can just pray for you, but there's something that I'm really struggling with. And people tell me all the time, well, I don't have the courage to go and do that. It doesn't matter. God instructed you to do that. And so we have no place on Facebook or on Twitter or on anything else, Instagram or any, it doesn't matter what it is. There is still, that is our voice speaking our heart and our heart is to speak Jesus. That's it. And if, you, if you've got an issue with someone else and you're not going to them first, you are sinning before God. You need to repent of it. That's scripture. So when we look about this and we look at this and we learn from James chapter 1, 26 and 27, the first thing that really stands out to us because of verse 26 is this. We have to control our speech. It teaches us three things. You can write them down right there on your notes. Controlled speech. That's what it's telling us. If you want to know that you have language, that you have a heart that's being transformed by Jesus, you're going to have controlled speech in everything that you're doing. Second thing is this. You're going to have, and, and these second and third thing, they're not directly related to your speech, but they are because they deal with the heart. And I have to cover them because I think it's so profound. If you want to know if you have a transformed heart, one, you're going to have controlled speech, but also you're going to have a sacrificial care for the hurting. Now, we know that you cannot separate morality from Jesus Christ. As soon as you do it, it's game for anybody. Anybody can define it by themselves, Right? But one of the things that we also have to understand is that you cannot claim 
You cannot claim morality. You cannot claim Jesus and have a lack of concern for the hurting. And I just want to, if you're new to this church, let me tell you right now, you've got a bunch of people in this church who care for the hurting. I'm really amazed at how many people here care for the hurting. And it's a powerful witness and example, something my wife and I speak about because it spurs us on in some things that we try to do. And that's how we're gonna get our hands even dirtier as a congregation, by caring for the hurting. It's another thing that he says right there, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. If you want a pure worship of God, a pure understanding of who God is, then you're going to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their hurt, in their misery, and you're going to care for them. You cannot separate morality from being concerned with the hurting. So you're going to have controlled speech, you're going to have sacrificial care for the hurting, but then finally, you're going to be set apart from the world. You're going to be set apart from the world because he says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Right? Whatever, whatever you're sitting in, your life is going to become tainted by that. It's going to become stained. It can be anything at all. It doesn't matter. I, I enjoy coffee. Many of you already know this. And uh, even some of my coffee mugs are stained from all the coffee that has set in them. You know what I'm talking about here? How many of you have ever bleached your teeth because of coffee? I'm just, I don't care about you bleaching your teeth. But right, it stains. And the world will stain you if you're not allowing God to continually transform your heart. And it's a slow go. You don't even see it happening. You use the coffee mug the first time, and you're like, it's clean. And it's still clean the second and third and fourth time. But then all of a sudden, three months later, you go, why isn't this coming out? And that's how it is with us sometimes. We don't even recognize that, that the world's greatest danger is not persecution, it's seduction and we're being seduced and our hearts are being stained when our hearts are being impacted by Christ and as a result of our hearts being impacted by Christ, our words should be screaming out that Jesus is Lord. Wow. We're to be set apart from the world. And you're going, I don't, want, I don't want to be separated from the world. I like the world. I promise you, Christ is greater. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Once again, do not love the world or the things in the world. Why? Because if you do, God knows that he cannot sit in your life as king. We need believers to speak their heart. But their hearts first need to, been, need to have been transformed by Christ. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge.
Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for the, the fact that we have an opportunity to hopefully recognize today that you really want to transform our hearts. And if you've transformed our hearts, our words that we don't speak, but also the words we do speak look radically different. And so for these friends, I pray you encourage them and that you give them a zeal and a fervor right now that maybe they've never had in terms of how they speak. And not only how they speak, but how the words that maybe they type. (laughs) God, I pray that every word, every reflection of, of our heart is one that would resemble you, that would reflect your image as God and as King, as Creator, as Sovereign Lord. Give us a mighty courage, a mighty boldness to speak and to tell others that Jesus Christ really is life abundant. Life abundant. Life eternal God we don't need to look like the world any more than we already do and we need to recognize the greatest danger from the world is actually seduction may we not be seduced by the ways of the world may we fall in love with the ways of your son who through grace and through mercy poured out his life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, O God. May that life be our spiritual act of worship. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to invite you to stand with us as we sing out and worship our mighty God.